0: My wife of 28 years hates it to throw away food. And so this weekend, she was up late working on Saturday night, and it was like 11 and 12 and then 12.30, and I walk into the kitchen, and I see on the counter a big tub filled with ham and, and, and water. And I said, I know what to do, Okay. I know me. My tendency is, I'm just going to throw this away and be done with it. But I know that my wife wants me to keep it. She wants the meat. She wants the meat. And so I'm there, and I'm like, you know, like the sleeves. And I get out the, the leg of ham. And I'm like, and I'm like stripping meat and fascia off of the bone. And like when I get left, it's like femur, kneecap, tibia. Nothing is left of the ham. I have extracted this pile of flesh and I'm like, I'm going through it, and I'm, you know, because I'm getting the fat out. And I'm getting out and I'm like, I am like Arby's baby. I got the meats, you know? I'm like, I'm getting it out and I'm sorting it and I'm getting rid of it. And I'm like, there, there is meat in that water. And so I get this, I got the thing and I'm holding it and I'm trying to like strain. The meat through the, 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 the sieve. And I'm like, dude, we have a cheesecloth. Okay, like I am going to get the meat. And so I get done and I gather up like all this, you know, the fat into the trash. And I like, take the trash out with the, and the meat. And I take the meat and I put it in a Ziploc bag and I put it in the fridge. And I'm like, I have grown as a spouse. Okay? Look at this that I just did. Like, I know myself. I know my wife. She wanted the meat. And look at what I did. I get to, she's going to ask me about it later. And I'm going to get to say, I saved the meat. Okay? So later on, she comes in. Like, I couldn't fall asleep, right? Because I'm like, it's coming. I, I was ready for this moment to say I have grown as a husband. And she comes in and she's like, thank you for putting away the ham. I'm like, yes. that's I, Yes, see, this is going to be great. And she says, I was going to make soup. Where's the broth? In that moment... I said, "Not again." And I had to say, "Why well, save the meat?" She didn't want the meat. She she wanted the broth. I we've been married. We've we've been We've been married, and I thought about this, and I was so deliberate in my decisions, and and I, you know I'm doing I'm doing this for you because my natural instinct would have been just to dump all of it, right? I'm like I have made such progress, and I I'm, I just missed the mark, and and in that and in that moment I was like I am like the disciples, I am like the disciples. Uh, the situation that we see the disciples in this week is, is much like that. You know, they were stoked after the triumphal entry. And they were thinking to themselves, you know, I could see like, you know, like whatever the, whatever the first century fist bump was. I don't know what that was, but they're like, dude, are you ready for what comes next? Or like, oh yeah, this dude's going to be king. It's going to be awesome. I am ready. I am so ready for this. After three years of being in, the, in, the, in Galilee, like I'm ready. I'm ready for this. Like the, geez, They're going to make him the king. It's going to be amazing. And Jesus had some hard things to say to the disciples in, in the upper room, didn't he? And uh, I think the thing that, that we can learn from our passage this week is that hard things are probably coming for you and for me. And Jesus wants his people to be prepared and to be ready. And so we're going to look at this passage in sort of two sections tonight. We're going to, first of all, we're going to look at the three hard things that Jesus says to his disciples. And then we're going to look at the three questions that his disciples ask him. So let's take a look, grab your Bibles, open them up, turn them on. And uh, let's, first of all, the first thing that Jesus says to his disciples is something that's hard to understand. Hard to understand. Number one, it's this thing about glory. I'll just read it because I, I, I've been looking at it for a long time, and it's—I don't know that I've made heads or tails of it. But here we are. We're in John 13. Uh, we're in verse 31. When he had gone out, okay. Remember where we are. Who had gone out? Judas has just left. Jesus and the disciples are in Jerusalem. They've had the triumphal entry and now they're in this upper room having this this conversation and Judas has just gone out and it was night. Okay, Remember that from last week? We got it. Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and he will glorify him at once. So there's obviously some circular references going on here, right? We obviously know that Jesus and God are, are united. And if one of them is glorified, the other is glorified and they can glorify each other. And, and this, this glorification, the thing that we can definitely discern is that this glorification is going to come quickly. It's happening soon. And I think the thing that we need to remind ourselves of is that when Jesus talks about his glory, He's not talking about his glory in the way that we might think of it. You know, we're going to think of it in some of the same way of honor and and majesty and and greatness. But in God's economy, the way that Jesus was going to achieve glory was through self-denial and and sacrifice on a cross. And, And that is what Jesus is thinking about. That is what he is focused on. And he knows that that event is coming soon because his betrayer just left. Judas just left. Those events have been set in motion. And in a certain sense, as Jesus has said, my time has come, you know, the clock is ticking. It's counting down to the time when Jesus will be glorified. And so uh, as Jesus is thinking about the time that he has left, he he has real truths that he wants to share with his disciples. And so he says the next thing, which is probably you know, hard to hear if you're one of the disciples. And this is in verse thirty three. I'll see if I can read it from this Bible. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, and you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And these men, remember, like as we think about like back to way back in the beginning of John, these men had left their lives, their livelihood. Uh, their families, the places that they lived, and they'd been following Jesus all around the nation of Israel for the last roughly three years. They'd gone everywhere with him. You know, they went to the wedding at at Cana in Galilee, and they were there when the 5,000 were fed, and they were there when Jesus said, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, and and it was like, well, this is hard teaching, And Peter boldly said in that time when when disciples were turning away from Jesus, Peter says, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And so these men had been faithfully following Jesus everywhere. And so for Jesus to say, I'm going someplace that you can't follow, that was hard to hear. Jesus understood what was involved in the journey that he was going to have from the upper room to the cross. He talked about it, not so much in John, but in the book of Matthew. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And it's a reminder for us that the cross, it's kind of part of the Christian journey. It's part of what Jesus said that His disciples are going to have to take up and carry, and it isn't that everyone's crosses are the same. The cross is very personal. The 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 self denial that is involved in your life and in your experience is not going to be the same as me. And Jesus knew that the path of the cross for Him was personal. It was voluntary. It was required. And it was ultimately going to be mortal. And Jesus knew that that road, he was going to walk by himself. And the disciples could not walk with him uh, because he was the unique lamb of God, the savior of the world. And so they couldn't follow. Jesus had other work for the disciples to do. They were not going to walk the journey from the upper room to the hill of Golgotha and be crucified. Jesus said, "I, I have something for you to do. That's going to be hard. I have a hard-to-do job for you while I'm away. This is what I need you to do. I need you to love one another the way that I loved you. And, and he, he says, this is a new commandment. And, and, and for those of you who are like Bible scholars, you're like, wait a minute. This love thing is in the Bible somewhere. I don't know exactly where it is, but... I, and, and it's, you're, you're right, right? You're right. Uh, uh, the, the, the two greatest commandments, I think Jesus was talking to a disciple, and uh, the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So how is this new, new commandment? When Jesus put a little bit on the end of this one, he was like, you need to love one another the way that I have loved you. Jesus said some stuff about loving people, like, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm, that sounds good. I can handle that. I have some good neighbors. And one of the neighbors that I don't really like a lot, they're moving. <laughs> I'm, it's going to be fine. I had a hard time with my last neighbor, but now I feel pretty confident. The next people, I'm going to do better. But Jesus said to his disciples, Sermon on the Mount, You know what? You've got to love your enemies. Pray for them. And then we have this enacted parable that Vicki talked about last week where Jesus was like, let me show you the full extent of my love for you. And he, and he put on a, a crucifixion dress and he, and he did this enacted parable of washing the disciples' feet. And, and he was saying, I love you to the point that I'm going to sacrifice my life on your behalf and that's what I would like you to do as well. and And... Like, that sounds a little more complicated than loving my neighbor. It sounds a little more difficult. And, and when the disciples would love like that, people would say, you know, that reminds me of somebody. Because that's the kind of love that Jesus had for his followers. It's the kind of love that Jesus had for his enemies. And, and he gives that command to the disciples. Um... And I think that uh, if we uh, think of the principle for this first section, is that Jesus notifies his followers that there's tough times ahead. Jesus notifies his followers that there's tough times ahead. I, I'm going to tell, tell you this, this. I think this is true. I can't, I, I'm pretty confident of this. The stuffed animal industry, the people who make stuffed pets... Stuffed dogs and stuffed cats—they do not prepare you for the reality of pet ownership. Okay, I'm just—I'm gonna—I'm just gonna throw it out there. If you have a stuffed cat, I had a stuffed cat growing up. I had a stuffed Garfield cat, and so uh, I sort of figured like the cuteness of God, the cuteness, the fluffiness is there. I can set him in the window like it's like a real cat. Cat, they eat lasagna, right? Because that's what Garfield, that's what I'm going to, we. so we've had a cat for two months. And they're fluffy. And they're cute. They're sharp. <laughs> there are some parts on cats that my Garfield cat, he didn't have the sharp bits. Right? And so, like, with my life, with my cat now, with the real life of my cat, is like, i You know, I get scratched every day i've i 've bled you know from the he wants to love me as if i 'm a cat, and it's like dude i don 't have that kind of skin and there's a, there's a sharpness of of real cats and probably i don't 've never had like a dog, so I, dogs are probably sharp too. I think dogs are just loud, right like the stuffed dog can 't prepare you for the volume, but you know so the It doesn't prepare you for the sharp parts, and then my stuffed cat didn't also prepare me for the parts when it's like, what? What is that sound? It's is did someone leave something running? And no, it's the cat. He's just happy. He's purring. That's really loud. (laughs) You're not prepared for the sharpness, and you're not prepared for the joy that you might get in a stuffed animal. And I think that sometimes what you and I do is that we kind of make like stuffed animal Jesus. And we sort of want to take the parts of Jesus that are like the soft and fluffy bits, and we're like, oh yeah, the healings, and the miracles, and the triumphal entries, and the part about Jesus loving us, not so much the part about us loving others, no, 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 maybe not. The deny, the, the, we don't have some of the sharp parts. You know, the denying oneself. The picking up your cross. You know, and our stuffed Jesus probably doesn't bring the kind of same joy as real Jesus would bring. But I think sometimes we can make the mistake of fabricating a stuffed animal Jesus. And if you ever hear somebody say, my Jesus would never do that you might want to figure out exactly what kind of stuffed animal Jesus you're dealing with, right? They, they might be on the money, right? They, there are things that Jesus wouldn't do. But I think that sometimes we fabricate and we aren't willing to experience the realness of Jesus. There's a, there is a breadth of following Jesus of sharpness and joy that I don't always know that we're willing to experience as American Christians. And I think sometimes, as you've been in the Gospel of John, you know, we've come across some parts that are like, that's a little sharp. And and perhaps your study of God's Word this year at BSF has prepared you for some of the harder parts of Christianity. And perhaps your study of Jesus in the Gospel of John at BSF has brought more joy into your life than you were anticipating. Let's take a look at the three questions that uh, Jesus' disciples ask. Uh, so the first one is from Peter. And uh, he, he, I think wisely, wisely he was like, I'm not going to ask him about the love thing. I'm just going to skip that one. That one, I don't really want to know how I'm going to do that. He was like, I'm just skipping that altogether. But back to your point previously about not following you. Uh, Peter wanted to know, well, Lord, uh, where, wh- why can't I go with you? Why can't I go with you? Why can't I follow you now? I'm, I mean, I'll lay down my life for you. And here's what I think Peter was really saying to Jesus. This, this is Brett's translation. This is probably not, you can check to Vicky on the Greek. It's probably not actual, accurate. Peter's saying, oh, you don't know me. You have no idea what I am capable of. You are missing out on all of the personal growth that I have under. I have cast out demons in your name, Lord. I am ready. I'm ready. You don't know me. There's so much in here. It's bursting to come out. You don't know me, Lord. And Jesus is like, oh, Peter, I, I, I do know you. I know exactly what you're capable of. And here's one example. You're going to deny me before morning. Jesus goes on right after that. Don't stop reading there. Jesus goes on after that and he says, but don't be troubled. Because Peter and James and John and everybody else who is going to scatter, we're going to be together again because I am going to prepare a place for you and for me to be together. And the thing that's remarkable is it's, it's it's I don't think it's remarkable that Peter denies Jesus. I mean like I mean I feel that in my own heart. The remarkable thing is that Jesus is like, "And Peter, I want to be with you forever." The 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 miraculous part of this is not that we're going to fail. The miraculous part is that Jesus says, "I want to be with you and I'm making a place that that we can be together." Jesus knows us. Jesus knows Peter. Thomas had a different problem, right? Thomas's question to Jesus was, well, you know what? We don't know the way to where you're going. We don't know the way, Lord. You know what my problem is? Thomas says, this is Thomas's real question, Jesus, you need to give me more information if I just had all the details. If I just knew if I just understood, if you would just tell me all the details, I could figure this thing out. If you would just tell me, hey, this is, the, I could put it in my GPS, and I would know how to get there. Thomas is basically saying, you, you've not given us all the information, Lord. And if you gave it to me, we'd be fine. I'd be fine if you just gave me all the details. And Jesus says, this is not a direct quote, but Jesus says, It's not what you know. It's who you know. And you know me. And I am the way. And I am the truth. And I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas, you don't need more information. You need more relationship. You need more belief. Right? Jesus started off, chapter 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You don't need more information. One more question from Philip. Philip says, Lord, just show us the Father. And that'll be enough. So, Philip's real question is, You know, Jesus, I am not completely convinced that what you are saying is true. I'm going to need a little more evidence. Can I see some documentation? Can I see your ID? Can, like, can you show to me that what you're saying, that this is real? I need a little more information because I haven't quite seen enough yet. I just, just show me the Father and that'll be enough. Um, Jesus responds the longest to Philip. <laughs> probably, I'd probably say something like Philip would say. Jesus points out what he's been saying to people all the time is that Philip... If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father is in me. I'm doing the things that the Father does. I'm saying the things that the Father says. I can't show you the Father any more than I've done. And uh, it's great to see Jesus. If I was, if like, if I was, like, somehow got the role of Jesus for this, like, if I was cast as Jesus, I got some ideas about how to play the scene. You know what I mean? Like, the frustration and like the sarcastic answers, none of that was present in our, in our Lord. He patiently answered all of these questions. He ends in an interesting, an interesting way. Uh, the last part of this, I'll read it just so that you can hear it. Because you, you've probably been wrestling with this, and it's good. I think it's a good thought to wrestle with. So John 14, verses 13 and 14. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. One of my recent prayers in Jesus' name was, Oh Lord, please don't let that police officer be coming for me. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know that the prayers that I have spoken in Jesus' name are always exactly aligned with the will of God. I've prayed some more serious prayers. Some of those haven't been answered. And perhaps you can think in your own life of earnest prayer that you've prayed, whereas you're thinking about it, you're like, That that one was not answered. That was an earnest prayer that the Lord didn't answer. Um, I was reminded of this verse. We haven't gotten to it yet, and I don't know that John covers it in the same way that some of the other gospel writers do. Jesus himself had an unanswered prayer. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, sort of coming up for us in, in John. My Father... If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. He prayed it twice. And he always finished it, yet not as I will, but as you will. That was an earnest prayer. No more earnest prayer than Jesus. And I think that the reality about prayer is that effective prayer must ask for... I read this, it's not a direct quote. Effective prayer must ask for and desire what Jesus and or God delight in. My prayer, the police officer didn't pull me over, right? But there's a lot of things that I've prayed for that don't fall in the category of things that delight Jesus, things that delight the Lord. Um, I, I don't know, you know, you you probably have some, some very genuine things that you've prayed for in this world, and some of those things are probably painful for you to talk about, so you probably don't talk about them, and that's okay. Um, but, but know that God hears our prayers. Um, he heard Jesus in the garden, but he didn't answer that prayer in exactly the way that jesus was hoping and and i think that can be true for us and so i think like uh one of the things that i would encourage you to do and we've seen this here in this section is that jesus is not afraid of your hard questions he's not i mean i think it's okay for you to like pray to jesus lord i'm really pissed off and i'm really pissed off at you and here's why and, and I think that to some extent, you're, the, the disciples were feeling that way. They were frustrated. They were angry. They were confused. They didn't understand what was going on. And the questions that they asked Jesus were reflective of their heart condition. And Jesus didn't roll his eyes. He didn't answer sarcastically. He didn't say, Philip, we've been over this a hundred times. He listened and he answered. And I... I think that will be your experience. I know it's been mine. Jesus is not afraid of dealing with and answering tough questions. I'm not so good at tough questions, right? So at my office, you, have anybody ever used Teams? It's like an instant messaging program. Okay, so we have Teams at work, right? I see a head. I see a head over there. Subscription service user. So I'm on, I'm on Teams. And there's someone on Teams that works in my department that only messages me when there's something wrong. And every time that I've had to work with them, I'm like, it's taken me way too much time and way too much energy, and it's way too confusing. And every one of those messages starts with, hey, Brett. And it's just sitting there on my screen. And I'm like... It is 4.45. <laughs> hey, Brett. Oh, man. Hey. So and so. Right? And I don't want to answer. I want a way out. I'm like, it's, it's one of those moments and I'm like, Lord, here comes a prayer that's in your name, but probably not in your will. Because like right now, I need it. It's just, it's not Ian. It's not Ian. Ian works with me. It's not Ian. It's somebody else, right? Somebody else. I didn't need, to say that for Caitlin's sake. If for no other reason. I needed her to know that. So, you're in this moment and you know, like, this, I, I do not want to do this right now. I just can't. Lord, I can't. It's 3.15. I, I, I can't leave. What do I do? I, you know, I don't know. I've. I've tried different things. None of them have been very effective. But that is not going to be your experience with the Lord. Right? When you reach out to him and you say, Hey, Jesus. He's going to listen. He's going to read that message. And, and in ways that are mysterious, he's going to respond. And so I think it's appropriate. Like if you have some Hey, Jesus questions that are on your heart. You might as well ask him, right? You might as well. And, and for those of you that have done this, it's, it's, it is, it's mysterious, right? Jesus is not on Teams, okay? So if anybody gets a Teams message from Jesus, I, I'm pretty confident that he's not on Teams. So he's not going to respond in the way that we are used to people responding, but he does provide answers. And talk about your group, talk with your group about some of the ways that, talk to your leaders and find out some of the ways that they've heard from the Lord. Talk to other Christians and find out some of the ways that they've heard from the Lord. I guarantee you that, that people who have been following Jesus for any amount of time have received answers from him, not on Teams. The other thing that we can do, though, sometimes is that, you know, I often wonder with this guy at my work, like, I wonder like when I'm not responding I'm like can he feel can he feel my anger in the silence right can he like does teams work with like psychopathic energy can he can he feel my lack of response saying dude I am you are the least interesting thing to me right now in this world can he feel that can he feel that from me and my silence as it's like, as the minutes tick by? Red at 3.15, it's 4 o'clock. Can he feel, my, can he feel me ignoring him? Because that is what I am doing. And I think that, that sometimes when we pray something from the Lord and it's not like responding right away, we read the silence as... God's ignoring me. I am ignoring my coworker, hundred percent. Okay? That isn't how God operates. Right? God sometimes is slower than we would like. Not always. He was going to glorify Jesus. He was going to do it quickly. But sometimes, even the road to glory though, it took a while, didn't it? From... Genesis to John, there was a couple years there. That it took a couple years for Jesus to you know work, to work all those things out. It took some time. Uh, we interpret the silence. We interpret silence. Vicky is so good at it. Vicky is so good at interpreting silence. I'm like, there's like there's paragraphs of things that are happening right in the silence. We interpret the silence of other people. And sometimes we can do that and we can interpret that of the Lord. Uh, I try to have people understand my silence and it doesn't always work. But I can guarantee you that the Lord is not being silent because he's forgotten you. Or because he's ignoring you. Or because he doesn't love you. Or because he doesn't care for you. He might be working on getting a place prepared for you. But he's not ignoring you. And so be careful about how you interpret the silence. From the Lord. I think that uh, we struggle to make sense and to respond appropriately to the events in our own lives. We struggle to respond well to other people. We struggle to understand the events in this world. And I think Jesus said to his disciples when you come into hard situations, wherever they are, this is what I want you to do. I want you to love other people the way that I've loved you. And so, who's loved you? Who's loved you that way? Who has loved you? I mean, hopefully nobody has died on a cross for you other than Jesus. But who has shown you sacrificial love that you did not deserve? And who needs your love? Who needs love from you? And the other thing that Jesus told his disciples to do, when when they didn't really know what to do, Jesus said, You need to believe in me. You believe in God, believe in me. And I think that that those are two things that we can take away from this lecture. We can probably find someone who needs us to love them. And we can believe more in Jesus. Because, mysteriously, belief in Jesus provides us answers to those hard questions of life. The disciples were going to face some hard things and Jesus' response was love each other and believe. And you and I are going to face hard things and I can think of no better thing to say as we wrap up than love each other and believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that uh, you would help us to like maybe, maybe, if I could pull off like 25% of Jesus, I'd feel like I'd be doing like amazing. Um, I just pray that you would help us to be like Jesus. Uh, help us to love Lord, help us to believe. Uh, It sounds pretty easy to say those things in a pulpit in a church with air conditioners and heat working. But Lord, I pray that when life shakes us and pushes on us in ways that we're not expecting, that you would help us to find ways to love and believe um, and help our unbelief because we have it. And I pray, Lord, that you would help drive it out of us through the study of your word and by your spirit. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody.